like good evening church and good evening to those of you that are tuning in at home. We're so glad that, uh, that you chose to be with us. I'd like you to look in your Bible tonight, Proverbs, uh, correction, Psalm 11, Psalm 11, and it's our text verse. We're talking about strengthening our homes and, uh, and I want you to know, ladies, that uh, I, I could tell that folks were praying. It just made the study easy this week and I appreciate that. And, uh, and I'm praying for you as well, that you may receive the Word of God with meekness, amen, and that you mix it with faith. And know that it's uh, what I'll be giving you tonight, and, and uh, you know, I, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, it's hard for me to imagine. I, I, I don't put myself in the place of a female, but, uh, but I do want you to understand a certain amount here that I do know what it's like if you will, to be the second man. And, uh, and that to be a second man, it takes a lot more grace sometimes than it does to be the first man. And what I mean by that is by being the associate pastor. And so uh, learning how to submit yourself and learning how to work within the parameters that God has established for you and by being in your place. And so, ladies, I, I don't know what it's like to be female. I thank God I'm a man. And, uh, and, and, I don't, and I don't say that begrudgingly of you, but I thank God that He made women. Amen. Amen. And, uh, man, what a dull place it would be if it was just, as I look around tonight, if it was just us, brethren, <laughs> that would not be good. And... Uh, but I, I want you to know, ladies, that I'm praying for you. I go up and down the pews as I pray, and I'm praying for you specifically. And I'm not set the crosshairs on anybody. That's unfair. And then that turns this into a coward's castle, the pulpit. And uh, that's not what it's intended for. And so uh, I want you to know from my heart, I want to give you the Word of God and pray that the Spirit of God will help you to receive it tonight. So here in Psalm 11, look with me please in verse 3. It's our text verse. And it says, uh, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so certainly, you know, our homes are the foundation of our country. And, uh, and really, and in part, the foundation uh, to a degree in our church. And uh, that the condition of the home affects the church just as much as it does our nation. And, uh, and certainly the institution of marriage and the family has been under attack now for decades. I mean, probably uh, it was done covertly in years gone by, in generations gone by, but certainly now it's more blatant and overt in, uh, in the attack on the family. And uh, they call it the nuclear family, I suppose, uh, one man, one woman, and some children and the like. And so that is looked down upon and despised and thought little of by the, sometimes by the treatment of our government. I mean, they even pay folks more money and some elderly people that when their spouses have died, they've decided to cohabitate with another person because it's financially advantageous to do so as two single people and live together because of your social security rather than the government promoting and, and giving you what each of you have earned Maybe as a worker over your years and your 40 quarters, they reduce that amount and they promote the single. And so, but you know, but God's on the throne. Amen. 
And he knows how to take care of his children. He knows how to provide. And so I won't make you turn to too many places tonight. I know that you've worked hard and we've had a little respite from the heat. I thank God for the rain. Don't you? Amen. It's been nice to have some cooling weather. But I want to encourage, you know, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at husbands and what God expects of them and what, pardon me, what he expects for them to bring to the marriage in order for our homes to be strengthened. And so tonight... We want to begin a series where we're going to focus exclusively, if you will, upon the role of wives and, uh, and what, what part they play in this most necessary endeavor. Now, let me say this at the outset. The truths that govern marriage apply both to men as well as to women. Uh, they apply both to husbands as to wives. And some of those that we've already talked about, we said that, number one, that marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. Uh, The man is no more responsible than the wife is, or she no less responsible in that covenant than what the man is. And what we said about that, that each commits themselves to the other person. And that means without reservation. Nothing holding back. I I had the privilege of... of, uh, officiating a wedding this past weekend and I really I haven't had a couple who was more interested in learning what God had to say about marriage I hadn't had that in a long long time and uh, and so it was a blessing and so I told them it's not a 50-50 proposition it's a hundred percent and a hundred percent if you're giving only 50 then you're putting 50 percent someplace else and that's not as it should be so it's without reservation and it's without constraint in other words no one forces you to marry that person No one forced you, the two of you, to get married. You did it volitionally. It was of your own free will. But at the same time, it is not without prayerful consideration. You better pray about who you're going to marry or who you're thinking about marrying. If you're listening at home tonight, young lady, young man, I'm telling you, you need to prayerfully consider who you're going to say, I do and I will before. And uh, because every, if you will, every date is a potential mate. And you need to be considering about that. And that's why marriage is not entered into lightly, carelessly, flippantly, because it's God's institution that he gave. So ladies, you know, we sit, so they, they have committed themselves to each other. They also have committed themselves to the well-being of their union, that they're going to work hard together, come together, and work through conflicts, and if that requires some compromise, they're willing to do that, that that union might stay solidified and enjoy the peace of God, right? Endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's not only true at the house, at the church house, but that's true at your house. And you have to work at that, amen? And so there needs to be that commitment as well. And then each commit themselves to fulfill the role that God intended for them by the grace of God. Now we've looked at the role of men to love and lead. They were to labor, they're to listen, and they were to learn. We spent several weeks over that learning thing. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. So there's a learning curve for men in this, all right? But so ladies, what is your role? What part do you play in fulfilling God's plan for mankind? Or what role do you play in fulfilling, if you will, in fulfilling your role for the home? What, what, what does the Bible 
have to say about that. So to fully understand those things, we got to go back to the beginning. So I want you to go to the book of Genesis with me tonight. That's where we're going to be primarily, the book of Genesis. And I want you to find your place in Genesis chapter 1. And let's talk about, let's talk about her creation. I've got just three things for you tonight. We're going to talk about her creation. We're going to speak about her calling and then her challenge that she faces in this world as a wife, as a woman. And so I want you to see something about her creation. Look with me in Genesis chapter 1, look in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now they were called man. You you know, you say, well, I thought, Brother Ed, I thought her name was Eve. That doesn't come along till later on in the scriptures. And as as was explained a, a, a while back when Brother Roger started going through the book of Genesis, you'll find that in these initial chapters that God sort of makes like like any good writer would, if you will, or or any good person who's doing a research paper, you have a topic sentence. Each paragraph has a topic sentence. Some of y'all remember that, right, Brother Bolton? You remember that in school, a topic sentence, don't you? All right. Then everything else in that paragraph went to support that main idea in that clause. And so God says he created. Well, then, just like he did in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then the underlying verses then describe how that how that creation took place and the order in which it took place. And the same thing is true here. He says in chapter 1, created he them both male and female. Well, then the remainder is, then how did that creation take place? It's the supporting structure, if you will, of that main thought. And so I want you to know, first of all, in her creation, you're going to have to see that it was for him. And the him there is Adam. The him there is man. She was created for him. And you got to understand that, ladies. She was created for him, not him for her. Now, we already talked about an extensive role that the husband plays and all that he is to provide as far as provider and protector and, if you will, and pastor in the home he's supposed to be. There's a lot he's supposed to do, a lot on his plate. But I want you to understand something, ladies, that God created woman for man. It was for him. Look with me in chapter 2. Look in verse 18. Notice what it says. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, I want you to notice something about verse 19. It doesn't start right away on putting Adam to sleep and taking the rib out. 
It doesn't do that. What does God do? He says, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. Do you understand? I believe that God saw that Adam needed someone before Adam did. And what did he do? He brought him there and he brings those animals. I suspect, Brother Roger, just like how he brought those animals to the ark. I don't know how he did all that, but he got them there and they didn't have names and Adam gave them names. Remember Adam, man, I mean he was using all of his intellect and so forth in the process and they were male and female and it probably didn't dawn on him, but I think God was trying to use that, if you will, that each of them had a companion and yet when he got all done with that, that wasn't going to be enough to satisfy Adam's need. And so maybe in the process of bringing those creatures before Adam and him giving them their their names that at the same time he may have awakened the need in Adam for someone to help him that there might be someone for him and so we find that look look as we go on look in verse 20 and Adam gave names and so forth and so we see that in her creation she was created for him the book of 1 Corinthians gives us a little more light on this ladies and it says for the man is not of the woman but the woman of the man Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. That's 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, if you want to go back and look it up. Paul gives us a little more light. The Holy Spirit gives us a little more light and clarifies that that woman was made for the man. Now, you know, God had Adam name those animals, and maybe it stirred up something for him, but I know this, it was she was created for him, and she was created from him. Now, God didn't go over to that dirt pile and, and form that and breathe into its nostrils and Eve became a living soul or Mrs. Adam became a living soul. It didn't happen that way. He took something from Adam. He, she was made for him and then made from him. Now, watch. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. He didn't say dirt of the same dirt I'm from. No, he said, man, she is bone of my bones and and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, God took a rib from Adam and made the woman and brought her to him. And she is now made of the same substance as Adam and therefore equal in value to Adam. Listen, I, one writer said, one writer said, uh, it, it was John Phillips, and he said that God had Eve in the back of his mind before she ever was in Adam's arms. He knew what man needed. I thought that was a pretty good statement, a pretty good truth. See, it's how God wasn't surprised by anything. Amen. He's never learned anything in that sense. 
And, uh, and yet she came from him. And so she's made from the same substance as Adam and therefore equal in value to him. And I think somebody, I think some clever fellow said that I think we're worth like a dollar fifty. If you were to take us and put all the chemicals and all the electrolytes and whatever gold and silver and things, that's about how much we would bring on the market. Because you know you're about three quarters water, right? 75% water and the rest dirt. And we are going to go back to that. You can look that up, the science on it, but we don't really have a whole lot of intrinsic value in that sense. But what gives us value, if, if you will, that we have a never dying soul that's made in the image and likeness of God. And so here, she is made for him and from him, and she is equal in value to him, but their roles are different. And so we see her creation here, and, uh, and it was not by mistake. It was done intentionally that way. And God took her out from Adam that she might be made of this very same substance as him. And so we see her creation. And then what about her calling? Notice what it says. Look in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help that was meet for him. And that word help is where you get the same word that we use today as we use the word Ebenezer. It's the word even like here I raise mine Ebenezer. It's the same word Eben which means to help or to render aid that the songwriter uses. It comes from that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Verse 2 says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come. And so her role here, if you will, in this, in her calling, she's been called to render aid, to assist, and to support the man. She has done all that, given all these things. Now she was for him, She was from him and she was fashioned to fit him exactly. Wasn't a mistake. Now think about it. I mean, man, the Bible says of God, it says, whose wisdom and whose ways are past finding out. Don't you suppose of all the species in God's wisdom and in God's power, and if you will, in God's imagination? of all the things that woman was singularly made to meet the needs of the pinnacle of his creation. And that was man. Of all the things in all of the universe, in all of eternity, that that could have run across his mind, said this is who man needs. No, he had it specifically. And so ladies, what that tells me, that, that you as an individual in your gender and so forth, that you are singularly unique and that you are highly regarded in God's creation, if you will, to be that one and only one who can meet the needs of that man. Out of all the things, and I mean, you know, God's made some strange creatures out there. They still find some of them down in the dark. Have you read about some of those? Man, they're down. I don't know how they, I don't know how they stand the pressure. You know, have you ever dove in a pool? You know, the deeper you go, you feel that pressure on your ears and so forth. If some of you all scuba dive, you gotta keep blowing Valsalva and get that pressure equalized and so forth as you go down. Some of those creatures are living at tens of thousands of feet and they send they send equipment down there and and some of them they they some of them have got their own uh, fishing gear 
on board, brother. They've got something that is a little bit luminous and it shines in the dark. It attracts some other critter and next thing you know, wham. And I mean, some of them have got some ugly teeth, man, that they can bite with way down and feed and live in those extreme pressures. And yet, of all the things that God could have chosen and how He could have done it, He made woman for man. And, uh, and it is something that is unique. And that, that's, that's the reason why, you know, uh, in this matter of being so valued and honored and esteemed, you know what, your service, ladies, is going to be rewarded as you fulfill your role in creation. That's what you've got to keep in mind, that, that you alone, just in your gender alone, have an opportunity to earn rewards as that woman to that man, being that helpmeet, that a man will never attain. Because it wasn't his calling. It's your calling. And learning to work within that realm. So what does it say? What, what are you supposed to be doing? Then in this calling, you're called to complete the man. You make a man whole as a person. You make a man whole. You're not there to compete with him. You've heard me say that many times. It's not a competition. It's a completion that you were there in that role, completing that man's life, balancing out his life. I mean, gosh, when you think about it, we'll be learning some other things as you learn about the nature of your husband, just how we studied what, are the, what was the nature of your wife, brethren, and then what her needs are. Ladies, we're going to talk about the nature of your husband, and we're going to talk about his needs and your role in meeting that and fulfilling those things. And God has a reward for you in that when you do it with a good spirit and a good attitude, which we're going to look at tonight as well. But God wants you to complete that man, not to be in competition with him. And that's hard, beloved, because in the day and hour in which we live, everything is promoted now about being a progressive woman. And if you are just, if you will, and I don't want to say it, I don't want to say this lightly or in the wrong way, but if you're just a a wife, they sort of look at you as being a second-class citizen. No man ought to look at his wife as being a second-class citizen. That's how other women look at you. It's not what other men look at. It's not how God looks at you. And He's the one that you ought to be interested in pleasing. And it's His appraisal that ought to affect you the most. Not Helen Gurley Brown. Not Helen Reddy. Do you remember her? When she came out, that song, Helen Reddy, I am woman, I am strong, and all that kind of stuff. She's from Australia, I think, where she's from. Came out in the 70s and so forth. I remember, you know, uh, you know that what Debbie used to say to me many, many years ago, said when we first had gotten saved, we were talking about some of these things, and it came up, and she said, yeah, when, when God made man, he kind, of, he kind of looked at him and said, you know, I think I can, I can do a better job, and that's when he made Eve, amen. And, uh, and I, she used to pick at me about that, and we'd laugh about it and so forth. But ladies, I'm telling you, God gave you a role to play, and uh, he wants you to fulfill that. Look at it, it's outlined, look in, chapter, look in chapter 1, look back in verse 28. Notice what it says. It says, And God blessed them, the male and female, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. 
Listen, no two sodomites can fulfill this command. That's the reason why that that God intended for male and female. The Lord Jesus confirms that in Matthew 19 when he says to those Pharisees, have you not read that in the beginning God made them male and female? He didn't make male and male or two women together. You can't fulfill the role then that God intended for you to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and to subdue it. That is a huge undertaking and it requires two. It requires a man and a woman. It requires that man and a help that is meet for him, suitable for him, fitting for him. God intended it to be that way. And so, so what is her, what's her challenge tonight? What do we see? Let, now, let, now, let, let me just back up for a second. Listen, the world and the devil today are trying to obliterate the differences between male and female. This is the reason why, you know, Deuteronomy 22.5, we don't preach on it much around here, but I've heard it preached, man, in, my, in the early years of my Christian experience, I heard it a lot. You know what that passage says, right, Deuteronomy 22.5, that a woman ought not to wear that which pertaineth unto a man. I, I, for me personally, I don't think it had to do with a pair of slacks, ladies. I don't think that's what it had to do with, but I do think it was a matter of are we doing away with the distinctives between male and female. God didn't want that to happen. And that's what he was promoting. But the world today wants to obliterate those differences and say that we are the same. They want to make men and women alike under the guise or the disguise of making them equal. Now listen, you don't have to be made equal. You were made equal in the day that you were born, dear sister. You were made equal because you came from the same stuff that Eve did. You understand what I'm trying to say? It's not how the world makes this assessment and says that you're equal. You were equal already with that of a man. In your value, it's just that your role is different. Just like how, just like how my role is different in some ways from Brother Roger's role. Just like how, how it, where you work, your role is a little bit different. If you own your own business, your role is different than the man who's working out here maybe on the front line. Yours might be keeping the hopper full of business and everybody else keeping them at work and so forth so they can feed their families and getting a good product out there. Or it might be that you're working for someone else and that your role is different. But it doesn't mean that you are any less valuable than that other person. And so ladies, don't believe, listen, the diatribe and, and if you will, the indoctrination of this world and the devil as they try to discourage you from being who God created you to be. It makes a huge difference. Now listen, you can either have order or you can have chaos. And look what happens when these clowns are in charge. You have nothing but chaos and denial of how chaotic it is. I've watched some of this stuff. I've I've listened to some of these women. Listen, we're, we're equal, but we're not alike. God made us different that he might make us one. Different so that we could complete each other. Again, not to be in competition. So what's her challenge? 
What's her challenge? I want you to go to 1 Peter with me. We'll spend the rest of our time there, I think. 1 Peter chapter 3. I know that you're familiar with some of this because the men have spent some time there, but I want you to see these preceding verses. 1 Peter chapter 3. Please turn there with me. If you're at home, please turn in your Bibles. That'll do you more good than just hearing me talk. Let's look at the Word of God. We see what her creation was like. We see what her calling is like. I mean, 1 Timothy 5 and 14 makes it very clear. He said, I would that younger women would marry, bear children, and guide the home. That's part of fulfilling your role in the fulfillment of Genesis 1 and 28 to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. I don't think that means to be eternally barefoot and pregnant. You know, Mormonism teaches that, that when you get married for all time and eternity, if you go to the temple, in, I guess it would be in that direction, if you go to the temple in Salt Lake, you know, you might get married out here, but if you get married in the temple, that's supposedly for all time and eternity, so that, guess what, ladies, so that when you die, and your husband dies that you can go go to some planet out here somewhere and you are going to be eternally pregnant producing children in the next life. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Man, those of you at home, I didn't hear an amen here at the church house. But that's what they teach. I I, I don't even know where that idea about being barefoot and pregnant and all that, I don't even know where all that came from. But listen to me. I know that women have suffered at the hands of men and at other women down through time. But you know what? So also have other men and so also have children suffered at the hands of both men and women. So you know what? It is what 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says that there is no temptation that has taken you but such as is common to man. That's not only for us as men, ladies, that's for you as well. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make of a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what is her challenge? Look in 1 Peter 3 with me. Let's read these passages. Beginning in verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. That word conversation there means your whole manner of living, your lifestyle. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God, uh, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Let's talk about what is the challenge that ladies that you face today here in the 21st century. It's the same challenge that every woman has faced over time. 
There's nothing new under the sun. The same things are present today. And, and probably your standing, if you will, a little bit in the world is more recognized today than it ever has been in years gone by. It's not that things have gotten worse. Things have improved in some measure. But like with many things, you know, like an overcorrection, now they want to go way over here out of the bounds of what God dictates. And I'm not asking you to go back, if you will, to the 1800s where women are giving birth on the side of the road in a covered wagon and so forth. No one expects that. No one expects you to live in a tent or whatever. You don't have to go out and gather firewood or chew the hide off of some, off of some uh, animal that your husband killed and butchered so that you can make clothes. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about this. You know, I've said it many times, your outlook has a whole lot to do with the outcome. And so the challenge here, number one, is accepting your station in life. Learning how to accept your station in life. What is your station? It is what 1 Corinthians 11 says, that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the man, and the man is the head of the woman. That is God's biblical order for your home. That's God's biblical order for the church. I remember I had a neighbor one time that invited me to some preaching. I think this man was a Christian. And uh, he was a good neighbor, gentle spirit and the like. And he invited me to a a meeting that they were going to have at their church. And he said, Sister so-and-so was coming to preach. And uh, she pastors a church in some of the town. And they've had her in before. And he wanted me to hear her. And his name was Dwight. And I said, Dwight, I said, I don't think I can, I can make that meeting. And I was, trying to, I was trying to be gentle about it, just thought that that might handle things. But he persisted a little bit. And I said, I said you know, I said, I said what, what is the order for your home? And he said, well, he said, God's the head of our home and I'm the head of my wife. And I said, well, then why would you think that he wants his house to be different than your house? And he didn't have an answer for that. And I'm not saying that a lady can't put a good message together. I just don't believe that God's called her to pastor. Amen. I've said it for you at home. Uh, My wife is not the second assistant uh, associate pastor. Sister Cindy is not the uh, second associate pastor. That's not how it works. Her responsibility, my wife's responsibility, is to look after us. Hers to look after Brother Roger. Mine to look after me. I remember, Brother, I remember when we went to the mission school and they asked that question, what did she think her role was? And what did she think about us going to the mission field where we were going? We're missionaries to black Americans. And she said, she said, really, that's between God and my husband. My job is to follow and take care of him. Amen. That was the right answer. They told me later that they liked her, but they weren't too sure about me. And, uh, but my point is, ladies, about learning to accept your station in life. Listen, when, when the Bible says later on, look in verse 7, Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Listen, because he is your head doesn't mean that you're inferior. Any more that Christ... God is the head of Christ any more than Christ is inferior to His Father. 
That is not so. At that particular time, they just had a different role. For him to be your head, for your husband to be your head, does not make you inferior. And he said, well, he's not very bright. Well, you married him. So you shouldn't say things like that. I mean, just like I told that, uh, that couple, don't correct each other in public. Do that in private. Get home, get that settled, but you support each other in public. Don't talk ugly about him in public. That only makes it look bad on you. Now listen to me. You can read those passages. You can read that where it says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And where he's the head, you can read that. You can agree with that. But that's not the same thing as accepting it. Agreeing with God is not the same thing as, as accepting what God says about you and acknowledging that. Those are two different things. Agreeing with God is not the same thing as accepting the responsibility that goes with it. Now listen, men have the same problem sometimes when it comes to leadership. A lot of times, a lot of times as the head of the home, you know, the man may want to delegate authority, but he can't delegate away his responsibility. You know, you, 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 two, two ditches for men. One is absenteeism and the other one is abusive. And you can't, you, can't, you can't abdicate your throne. You can't abdicate your position, men, just because it's uncomfortable and you don't like the pressure it puts on you to make decisions. God expects that of you when He gave you, when He assigned your gender. That you were to be a leader in your home. You were to be the head of your home and you are to lead at the house of God and so forth and be, be the primaries in these things. And you can't give away your responsibility. Because God's going to hold you accountable for it. And ladies, it is learning how to accept that with a good spirit and a good attitude. Because it leads right into the next thing. Look in verse 1 again. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Not only is it accepting your station, that's a challenge, but you know what also? It is having the right attitude about submission. The right attitude about submission. Now listen. You can only submit yourself to your husband when you are adequately submitting yourself to your heavenly father. Those two things are directly proportional. With the same proportion that you are submitted to your heavenly father, you will be to your husband. So when you're not in submission to your husband, guess what? You're not in submission to your heavenly father. You're not in submission to the word of God. You're not submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit who's not going to lead you contrary. Just like how we are, brethren, in a place when we're working and we haven't submitted ourselves to the leadership where we work, don't tell yourself that you're walking with God and that you're right with God because you're not. It makes a difference. We're to submit ourselves to God regardless, I mean, to the kind as well as the froward, Peter says in another place. 
tells us as workers that we have an obligation to submit ourselves unto God. Even when your good is evil spoken of and you take that patiently, that's pleasing to God. And so, ladies, your attitude about submission is measured by your submission to God. When you're struggling with this, when you're struggling having to submit yourself to Him, that's when you need to get alone by yourself and examine yourself and get before God and say, Lord, help me to be right with you that I might be right with Him. Because it makes a difference. Listen, you're going to... We hadn't even got to the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, but God resists the proud. And when you're stubborn, ladies, and when you are resisting Him, you're actually resisting yourself. You're hurting yourself and God will resist you and there'll be no grace for you. Listen, I know it takes grace to live with that man. I think about what it takes for Debbie to have to live with me, you know, and in in 42 and a half feet. (laughs) I can't, I can't, I don't have room for a brawling woman. My, My camper's not big enough. The Bible says it'd be better to dwell in a, on a rooftop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. And you can't either. Your submission. It takes the grace of God. It takes the grace of God. It takes a walk with the Holy Spirit to help you moment by moment sometimes, ladies. I understand. I, I, I honestly, I understand what it's like. These men, your husband knows what it's like to be frustrated. Even sometimes to be hindered in some ways. Just like how you are. But somebody has to have 51% of the controlling stock. Anything with two heads is a freak and anything with no head is dead. You don't want to have what they had at the end of the book of Judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes because it says there was no king in Israel. Talk about trouble. Talk about chaos. And man, I mean, listen... Hollywood doesn't know the first thing about how to have a normal relationship. They can't even name their kids normal names without some bizarre stuff going on. And then they want to get on the television or they want to get on some, somebody wants to interview them. How are you able to do it? You all have been together for five years. Wow. Gosh, I mean, you've got a multi-million dollar home. You each got your own set of special cars, Ferraris, and maybe she's got her own uh, a pink Porsche or whatever, and they got rocks and jewelry, and they got all this, and they get free stuff. Well, good night. Who in the world couldn't make it like that? The only problem is they got lost people in them houses, lost people wearing that jewelry, lost people driving those cars. And they have not the grace of God. They have not the Holy Spirit. God has equipped us, beloved, and they want to say that they set the standard. Give me a break. 
I mean, I don't want to hear football players whine about this matters and that matters. I don't want to hear. I don't. I'm not interested. I, I'm not. I'm not interested in any of those guys. Whether you put, you dribble, you bounce, you kick, you know, I don't really care. Because you're just a bunch of thumb sucking babies. I remember, I remember, brother, going to state, man. They had the meat dorm. That's what we called it, where all the athletes hung out. They had everything, man. Pool tables down there in the day room. When, we, when us poor undergraduate people would have to walk past the meat dorm, that's, that's where all the athletes were. I went to Duggar Hall. That's where I was. And, man, they'd had a carbide cannon. They'd shoot flaming tennis balls at us out of those upper towers, just picking on the, uh, on the freshmen that were coming in. And, you know, they had all this, and they got all the privileges, and they got all this stuff. I don't want to hear about it. And ladies, I'm just going to say, some of you need to count your blessings about what you have. We're going to talk about, when we start talking about the needs of men, we're going to, we're going to look at some of those things and understanding about the nature of a man that I'm hoping that it will help you. But accepting your station, having the attitude of submission, and when you're struggling, you need to get alone with God, just like how I do, just like, just like how your husband has to do, just like how leadership in this church has to do. We see something and we want to react, and God says no, or God says wait, or God says not right now, and we feel like it ought to be now, and it's not. That's all about yielding yourself to the one who's in charge. An attitude of submission. And then the last one will be done. And that is the adornment of serenity. Look what this says. Look with me in verse 3. It says, Whose adorning, let it not be the out, that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be clothed. All right? That's not what that's teaching. He just doesn't want you to spend all that time on the outside and to the neglect of what's on the inside. And you have to ask yourself sometimes, where is the carpet worn? Where we primp or where we pray? But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. In these passages, ladies, God is trying to show you how to be beautiful where it counts. The whole time the world's been telling you, tells these young girls, man, you got to dress up like this, you got to look like this. What were those things called a long time ago? I'm trying to, was it called glamour shots or something? They would take these like 12 years old and they would put them in there and they would, they would deck them all out and then try to make them look like they were 20 or 21 or whatever. How ridiculous. No, you know, uh, uh, that where every little girl's got to supposedly look like Barbie. And men, you ought to protect your daughters from those kind of things. This is where your role as a father is so important. They shouldn't have to bear up under pressure like that. 
And we ought to do our best, train our sons not to pressure girls about those kind of things. Because you know what? The scripture says that beauty is vain. And I'm telling you what, gravity and time, all that will fade away. I have fun with the firemen sometimes. They say, oh, Brother Ed, man, you know, how old are you? You know, did they have stethoscopes in the 1800s? They, they mess with me about that being old all the time. And I said, hey, boys, I said, look at it this way. I said, you too can look like this someday. And they went, oh, man, oh, you know. But, uh, but it's true. I said, some of y'all are going to wish you could live this long. But serenity. Notice what it says, for after this manner in the old time, verse 5, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. The Lord has shown you how to be beautiful where it means the most. It's inwardly. That's what Proverbs 31 and 30 talks about. It says, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. A woman that fears God. We don't give, we don't put a lot of stock on that. Now listen, I know there's got to be chemistry when a couple comes together. I understand there has to be that attraction and so forth. But 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 that's temporary. And it is temporary. But having that meek and quiet spirit, and you, brethren, having a gentle spirit who loves his wife and prays with her and works with her and does his best, get along and lead and love and listen. Man, those are things, those are things that come from within. Not whether or not you still got your flowing hair and it's still the dark color and all that kind of stuff. You could you can be you could be like, what was that, what was that painting? You could be like Dorian Gray. If any of you have read Edgar Allan, I think, isn't that a Poe book? Dorian Gray, Edgar Allan Poe, you need to look it up, that he had this painting, and as long as that painting was in good shape, he remained forever youthful. But he kept killing his wives over all that length of time. You might look like Dorian Gray, you might look like God's gift, but you can have an ugly spirit on the inside, brethren. And the same thing is true, ladies. Remember what that passage says? As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman without discretion. Which means what? The beauty of that jewel is wasted on that hog, just like the beauty of that woman is wasted on her because she's got a corrupt inside. And listen, you don't want to be, you don't want to be confused for a harlot, do you? The scripture says in, in Proverbs 7 that she has the attire of a harlot and she is loud and stubborn and her feet keepeth not at home. You don't want to be that way. That's not the person to emulate. Allow that inward serenity and beauty to be seen. Ask God to help you with that. Just as we read in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says as, in 2 Corinthians, as change from glory to glory, our image is changed. Why don't you ask God to help you change? If you're struggling with these things, ask God for some grace to transform your life. Ask God for grace to forgive you in what's been happening. And then ask God for grace to change me 
and make me what I need to be. The Spirit, uh, listen, the grace of God teaches us according to the book of Titus in chapter 2. Don't you think it can transform us? Can, but you have not because you ask not. Ask God to help you with it. Ask the Lord to help you, ladies, that you might accept your station in life with a good attitude. You know, the old thing is that, man, all the time, well, women look at men and say, well, man, I can change him. I can. No, you can't. If the Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin, what makes you think that you can? If a leper can't change his spots, what makes you think that you can? If a man can't change himself, ladies, what makes you think that you can? It takes a work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and then a progressive sanctification in his life, practical. And that's what you must have also. Sanctification that works in your heart and works out what God has worked in. Ask the Lord to help you with that. That that beauty, because I'm going to tell you what, the great beauty that a woman holds is inward And beloved, that is a choice. It's a choice. So it's really up to you. If there's strife at the house, find out what what part of that strife are you responsible for. And if you are, then make it right. Make it right. And you know what? God will go to work on that man. That's usually how it goes. Lord, would you you help him? There, There was a guy... Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know if he's in the ministry anymore or not. But he was—he really could sing, man. But he had crutches and so forth. And one day he had a falling out with his wife, had a big argument, and man, he stormed out of the house as best he could in his crutches. He got in his van and he took off and drove. And uh, I don't know—I don't know if it was he who ran the stop sign or whatever. But they got broadsided. He got broadsided and wound up in somebody's yard. And that van rolled over and he got out and he was laying out there in the grass. And when he came to, he—you know what he said out loud? He said, "God, I thought it'd be her that you would kill and not me." <laughs> Ask God to help you where you are. Work in your heart to work in your home to accept who God made you to be, and reject this stuff that I know, listen, just like how men are bombarded with images, you all are bombarded with ideas and influence. Ask God to help you with that, ladies. Hold up the shield of faith. Take a hold of the sword of the Spirit. Thank God for who you are. I'm sure if I were to ask you, man, are you glad you're probably the ladies in here? Ladies would say, yes, I am. I'm so glad I'm not a man. I've heard women say that. Well, then don't despise then the role that God has given you. Ask God to help you with that inward beauty. And I'll, I'll guarantee you it'll show up and your husband will appreciate it. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father... I sure do thank you for my church family. Thank you for the ladies of of our assembly, Lord, godly women. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just help them this week as they examine some things. And, Lord, as they look at their own life. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless them. May they mix faith with what they read tonight from your word and what they heard, Lord, that it might be profitable unto them. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.